Our guest today met, fell in love and got married. Her relationship, wedding and the birth of both her children made headlines. One of them is with us today. <gasps> We've got Teddy with us. First so baby excited. on the podcast. Absolutely fantastic. Hannah Graff and her husband Jake often, I guess they're described as a, a trans power couple. We'll find out what that means, Rosie. We'll find out. <laughs> they're certainly amazing role models um, as individuals and as a couple and as parents. And Teddy agrees. Of course she does. Um, Hannah and little Teddy um, join us for this episode of What If. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's lovely to see you. It really is. Now, both you and your husband, Jake, you transitioned before you met. How did you meet, though? How did you find each other? So it was a real kind of just moment in time. Um, I had just come out in the... I'd actually come out in the British Army a little while before, but it had made the, the news around uh, December seven years ago now. Mm. And Jake had just been in the film The Danish Girl, which oh, was yes. like going around and that, that was kind of doing the media rounds as well. And he was one of the first trans actors to be in that. And so we were both trans people in the public eye at a similar time. And it just kind of, we kind of were both aware of each other. And because we're a relatively small community, certainly at that time anyway, Jake saw me on Facebook, as someone you may know, and just clicked the... No you know, way. Yeah. You know, say, you know, said hello. And then we sort of began chatting and... Uh, I mean, do you know on Facebook you can go back and see your all of your messages forever? Yeah. So we, we like spent like an hour scrolling back once to see original messages. They are so cringeworthy. But yeah, it's some very morbid and just horrible, um, but quite funny sort of chat in on Facebook. And we just kind of agreed to, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I know, this is how Mummy and Daddy met. Oh. I know, she said I've heard this story a hundred yeah, yeah. times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, on the 30th of December... Um, 2015, we agreed to meet under the clock in Waterloo Station. Oh. Um, and we had our date, which lasted for 11 hours, um, which I, so I'd never been on a date before. Right. Jake had been on many dates before. I hadn't because prior to transition, the idea of like being with anyone was just really weird to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I just didn't bother. And so I didn't really know that it was weird to start a date at three o'clock in the afternoon. Jake had planned it so that if he really hated me, his friend could give him an emergency call yeah. and, oh, say, that. And, and, and say, <laughs> that sorry, I've got to go. So he got the call. Luckily, he decided to stick with me. And then we, um, yeah, we stayed together all evening. Um, and I think we were drinking in a military bar around the corner from Waterloo at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. So not bad for a first date. Not first, bad. First date. And just talk, date. talk, talking, just talking to each other, just it, finding out about each other and sharing experiences. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just, just normal kind of like yeah, first, yeah, of first date stuff. But the thing that was amazing for it was because... We both knew the other one was trans. It wasn't part of the conversation because in any other world as a trans person where you're dating, mm. you've got to confront that. You've got to explain yeah. to the person. If you don't, then you're treated like you're hiding it. And so it's a real, you're a real catch-22 for trans people in the dating world if you want to date someone who isn't trans because you either talk about it and potentially put someone off from going there in the first place or you don't talk about it and then you're you know, accused of hiding it from them and sort of being surreptitious about it. And so the great thing about dating someone who's trans was that we didn't have to talk about all that stuff. I didn't have to explain to him what it meant. I didn't have to worry about what his mum would say. Right. We could actually just date as human beings, which was really, really nice. And mm. but, you know, we'd never advocate to say that trans people should only ever date other trans people. That's ridiculous. But certainly for us, it meant that it took a lot of the stress and anxiety out of it, especially for me, my first, first ever date. Your first ever date and you meet the man of your dreams? Yeah, that's it. I mean, that doesn't did you know? Did you know that that was it? No, no, I didn't. <laughs> Although I, I did drunkenly say I love you on the phone. I was say goodbye to him. Oh. <laughs> He's never let me live down. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was 
you know, we just kind of grew as a couple after that. I was still stationed outside of London, so I was kind of coming down into London every weekend. So we'd be apart five days and then we spent every weekend together. And yeah, we just kind of grew into it and it was just it was it was really, really romantic. Jake was a is is a very romantic guy and you know, he gave me my first ever bunch of flowers, which, you know, seems really mm. silly, but you know, it's really lovely. Um, you talk about the army. Did you always want to to go into that? Well, I don't know about always because I didn't. I kind of fell into being in the army. So, I was, I was a scout. My dad was a scout leader when I was like twelve or thirteen. Shush at you. Um, <laughs> and um, he decided that he didn't want to be a scout leader anymore because you know, he didn't have enough time to do it. And so the scout troop folded. And my parents said to me, "You've got to do something. You can choose what it is, but you're not going to sit at home every every night." And I had a friend. She was in the army cadets. She said, "Oh, come on to that." And so I did. And then I did like, you know, when they're, you know, summer camps where you're away for two weeks and I just was just good at it. I won a few like their best cadet awards or whatever. And and then someone said to me, you know, you could do this as a career. There's this college for, um, you know, for people who want to join the army as officers if your grades are good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I took this perspective home to my mum and dad and said, like, what do you reckon? And it was a boarding school and my mum was like taken aback. You know, all of a sudden her 15 year old wanted to leave home in the next year that was a bit of a shock but you know, she's always been and both my parents have been very very supportive of whatever I wanted to do and so um yeah I, I applied for this college and all of a sudden I was in I did my A-levels there but it was a military college and then they gave me a bursary through university so at each step I kind of never really made a conscious decision to 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 do it but I kind of kept on on that journey and by the time I actually went to Santos in 2009 I was yeah totally up for it and I've been working towards it for years but it was a real kind of sort of snowball of things that just happened and I kind of went with a flow and it you know I ended up somewhere where I flourished and absolutely loved and it you know it's it was the army is such an important part of my life it's so much who I am and who I've become is part of what I learned becoming an army officer um, but yeah there was a lot of things that happened along the way that kind of found myself there I'm certainly not from a military family I never kind of said right that's it I want to be in the army it just yeah. kind of happened to me oh, see, very I, serendipity yeah I only know you as Hannah <laughs> and it's very strange of me to think of you as anything other than Hannah you know the, the woman and the mother um, but of course you know up until you transitioned you, you weren't that and I just wondered did you always know did you always know um, that you were supposed to be Hannah I think the answer is no, but I always knew that I wasn't the boy that, you know, everyone seemed to think I was. And you know, some trans people, they'll tell you, like Jake, if he was here, he'd tell you that he knew from four years old. He was telling his parents he was a boy at four. Right. And some kids do know at that young age. I didn't. I just knew that I didn't fit into the kind of role that society expected from me. And I think because... I'm quite outgoing, I'm quite sporty, I'm quite boisterous, you know, I'm quite adventurous. These are traits that, you know, certainly when we look at how we stereotype kids would fit into the boys box. Yeah. And so it was a little bit harder for me to identify with a, being a girl at that young age because mm. I didn't feel like I, you know, my only understanding of what a girl was was the stereotype that was forced on me through like all of us. And so I wasn't interested in dolls and therefore I can't be a girl, which is now when you look at it in a lens of, dolls of a boys and girls you know it makes no difference but certainly you know growing up in the late 80s early 90s that just didn't work for me and so mm. I kind of knew I didn't fit in and I had to kind of grow older and get more experience about what a boy was what a girl was who I was and become a bit more kind of understanding of my own identity to kind of realize that but I always knew that I didn't fit in where I was I just didn't know 
where I did fit in until I was a bit older, if that makes sense. No, it does, mm. very much so. So what sort of age were you when you thought, right, OK, um, I'm now starting to know who I am, find out who I am? I was high school, I guess, yeah. um, sort of around sort of 11, 12, 13. That's when I started to realise. But this is also the sort of time when I was watching and consuming the media. So, you know, you know Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, you know, yes, the Jim Carrey film. Absolutely. Like a film that you watch, I watch with my family, my friends and everyone laughing along. It. And there's a trans woman in that that mm. gets treated like absolute rubbish. You know, yes. she's treated like a freak and, you know, Jim Carrey kisses her, finds out that she's trans and then takes a shower, burns his clothes, brushes his teeth. Horrible. And then mm. she's stripped naked at the end and everyone throws up. You know, when you watch that as a young trans person Jesus. with your loved ones, and they all laugh along. Mm. It establishes in you very, very early on in your life that you do not tell people how you feel because mm. that's how you'll be treated by your loved ones and so that's just one example of the many examples that are out there which kind of make you push you into that kind of closet role and that's what I did I had to learn to compartmentalize my life between the the real me and the me that I had to portray to the rest of the world to, to get by in life or so I perceived at the time. Did you have any sort of good role models growing up or anyone that you could look up to? I think I had lots of good role models my parents were fantastic mm -hmm. role models I mean my mum was a, a primary school teacher and worked her, you know, her bum off for, for me and my brother and everything. Like, same with my dad, you know, you know, they were you know, kind of both middle-class parents who wanted the best for their kids. They worked hard, they made lots of sacrifices for us. Mm. And so, you know, in terms of my behaviours, in terms of, you know, how I try and act, manners, all that kind of stuff, absolutely my parents are my role models. Um, at that young age, there was no trans role models mm. for me, which no, is why it took just, me such longer yeah. in my life to, to yeah. finally work out who I was. So lots of role models, yes, but not necessarily the ones exactly I needed at the time. I know exactly what you mean. And that's the thing now. It's it, That is different now because you and Jake are very much, you know, you described as a trans power couple. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what that means. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, lots and lots of young uh, boys and girls will look at you and the life you lead and the life you've got and say, wow, it's possible to be happy. It's possible. I always, I, I kind of hate the question about, you know, being a role model. I'm not sure, I some people say that we are, I'm not sure what that means to me. I certainly don't take any kind of, I don't want to presume that like people should look up to me because I'm just being me. Mm -hmm. um, however, if there are people, young trans kids, the families of young trans kids, or even older trans people who can look at me and Jake and our family and go, I can take something from that that make, make my life more positive, then... Of course, I'm really, really proud and happy of that. I'm, I'm glad of it, but I certainly don't want to feel like, you know, I deserve it because I'm just living. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the lucky one, right? You know, I'm the one that has had a good upbringing, had two good parents who gave me a good start in life that gave me, went to send me to a good school and got me a good education and were there for me through all my extracurricular activities and everything. And later on in life, when I transition they're the ones that stuck by me and said we'll love you unconditionally even though they found mm. it like ridiculously hard and the one that had the friends that said okay i'm a bit shocked but you know we'll still be your friends and i'm the one that had a career that said you can carry on your job and because of all of those things all those moments of support and love and care as i went through my process i've come out the other end as a very happy individual with a very privileged position of having you know a family at the end of it and I know that there are many trans people and indeed many people of all walks of life who don't have all those things, who don't have the opportunity to be a role model, but that's not their fault, do you know what I mean? So I'm just trying mm. to say that if someone can take something positive from me and, our, and my life, I'm very pleased about that, but I don't feel like I'm special because of it. I'm just the one that's been lucky enough to have all those positive moments in my life.
And you talked about the army. This is very interesting because um, when you transitioned, you were still in the army. Yes. And yeah. what, how how did you let them know? And what was their response? <laughs> was it because you know if this had been twenty years ago or ten years ago, mm. even maybe, but certainly twenty years ago, you wouldn't have had the same support, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, up until two thousand. The military were actively seeking out people who were LGBT and kicking them out. Yeah, you know that's that's the backdrop of, of you know being LGBT in the in the military. But times change, and one of the good things about the army is that it does because of its very nature of the job that it does. It has to change quickly, and so as the world and society has changed around it, I know they're good, aren't they? <laughs> um, they they've had to, they've had to change um, with it, and so they they when I came out, they were they had had trans people in the military before. Some had lost their jobs and gone. Some um, had not lost their jobs, but didn't get a particularly positive response from the people there. Um, and undoubtedly, those people, you know, paved the way for me to come out and be who I was. But I found myself at the kind of the right place at the right time where they were open to it a bit more. And because I was you know, fortunate enough to be an officer in the British Army, that, you know, I had the ability to talk to senior officers and, and, and stand up for myself in a way maybe like a junior soldier might not have been able to. And so through all my, say, lucky positions, I was able to kind of guide them through the process as I went through it myself. And so it was real kind of partnership as I came through and transitioned. And um, they were very supportive. I did a lot of training, a lot of education with a lot of people, um, all th whilst learning about it myself. You know, I, you know, I wasn't by no means an expert. I just happened to be living through it at the time. And we worked on their policy and made improvements and tried to make it a little better for people who came after me. And as I came out and find myself on some very topical daytime TV shows, <laughs> as you may know, um, you know, other people came out as well and I was able to help and mentor them. So, yeah. It's just great. It really yeah, is. it's amazing. I never had a plan because I never envisaged a world where I would have a family. I would mm. never envision a world where I would be on a date. I just literally, when I when I transitioned, I told this to Jake once after after about six months of being together. When I transitioned, I thought I was giving up the possibility to ever find love. I thought that was just the price I had to pay for being myself, um, mm. which is again because of the way the media treats trans people. You made to feel so unlovable, and I just thought that who would ever want to you know date a freak like me? So, the idea of having kids was just you know inconceivable at that point and then obviously as time has gone on and you know found jake and started dating um that's now changed and if jake were here he'd tell you that he was absolutely part of his plan because he worked with kids for, for many years and then transitioned and after transition knew that he really wanted to have kids in his life and so without a partner to do anything with at the time the only thing he could do was stop testosterone and go through egg harvesting donor to create embryos and so mm. you know, many people don't really realize that you know the two babies aren't actually genetically mine at all um so he stopped and had that process so when we started dating he already had five little embryos on ice oh, waiting nice. and so even that was actually very you know looking ahead that was that was an that was an amazing amount of planning that was done mm. you yeah. know to think like that and to and to make sure you've got options yeah i mean so before we even had our first date on the phone jake had said you know i'm interested in wife and kids wow 
And I was a bit like, you know, bear in mind, never been on a date before. I was like, is this usually how it goes? <laughs> <laughs> Seems, it seems quite forward. Um, but It would be good if it went like that. It would save yeah. a lot of time. <laughs> you know exactly where you were, wouldn't you? I love it. But, oh, but, I, but I did respect it as well because mm. he was like, this you know, this is my future. And if you, I don't want to get involved in something and find myself in love with someone that, you know, then later down the line, we don't align on that kind of mm-hmm. really important topic. So it was always part of his plan. And then as soon as we, you know, married in 2018, the next step was, you know, finding a surrogate and, yeah. and mm. making it happen. And you struck lucky. You really struck lucky with your surrogate, didn't you? She was amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, she you know she she came to us following um, us being on your show. Really? Yeah, so... Ooh, we, what if? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what if? That is a big what if. Yeah. Gosh, what if you hadn't come on? So how did she get in touch with you? Or did you get in touch? How did it, how did it happen? So there are, there are sort of various fertility agencies out there, and she was um, she was part of one and was you know, looking to someone to match. She was, I think she was going to be with someone else, and they dropped out, and so she was kind of looking for someone to to be a surrogate for, and you know heard our story and reached out, and you know wow. yeah, some very kind of you know, I mean, matching with a surrogate is the most intense thing in the world it's mm. it's a lot like dating which is that you have to have these awkward conversations you have to work out if you want the same things if you like each other because you know there's going to be a relationship there like you know laura is not the kid's mum but she sees them she talks to them we buy christmas presents all that kind of stuff she's very much in our lives and so um we needed to make sure that we liked each other and that yeah. you know we had the same expectations out of the journey and it just so happens that she was perfect you know she's a pediatric nurse from northern ireland you know doesn't drink um just very kind very easygoing and you know super relaxed and yeah it just we were very fortunate that you know merely happened first time and apart from there being a global pandemic in the middle of the pregnancy it was fairly fairly easygoing so you didn't get to be there to see your daughter being born your first daughter being born um but i just wonder what the first moment was but you know when you get that sort of like you look at their wee face and you get that love. Did that work for you right away or how? what happened? I mean, so the first thing was that in hindsight, it wasn't important that I wasn't there in the first few hours at all. Um, you realise that you've got, you know, decades of being there for them. Yeah. So um, it's not as important as I thought it was. But um, um, and I remember seeing Millie for the first time and you know, we were waiting in the room and um Laura was wheeled in because she'd had an emergency C-section and it was, you know, this tiny little thing all bundled up and, you know, swelling with emotions and she was the most beautiful, squishy little thing I'd ever seen mm-hmm. in my life. And, you know, I, I was full of emotion, but I, I'd say that my real connection for Millie came um, a few days later. And, you know, bef- in the run-up to, you know, having her... I was felt I had a lot of self doubt and a lot of kind of nerves that I wouldn't find like a mothering instinct. You know, I already felt that my my body kind of got it wrong once, so I wondered if that included you know the natural instincts of of being a mum, and so I wasn't sure if I was going to be a good mum. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to um, kind of live up to the standards of you know all the other great mums in my life, um, but. Uh, in the middle of the night, Jake was sleeping and it was like three o'clock in the morning and I was feeding her and it was quiet. Not just like right now when she was in my arms, <laughs> it was quiet. And I remember looking down and thinking like, 
you know, I'd do anything for you, you know, and, mm. and I've what you got, you know, you've got me and I've got you. And I, it was that kind of sense of I would do anything for you and unconditional love that, um, yeah, that's when I knew that I was really a mum. Oh, that's lovely. Mm. No, that's, that's lovely. So sweet. It, it really is. It's and, fantastic. And you're now a family of four. Yes. Yes. Yes, a very tired family yeah. of four. Do they get along? The, the they are. Baby girls. Millie is so good. We we, I think it's in her nature anyway. But we try mm. to be really kind of conscious of not throwing too much attention at Teddy when she was first born. So I mean, Millie was you know two year old running around, so she needs much more attention anyway. Teddy just yeah. kind of chills out and sleeps. Mm. Um, but um, no, she's really sweet with her. Like Teddy's crying. I think she's hungry. Does she need a nappy change, Mummy? And oh. and you know, Teddy laughed for the first time yesterday because Millie was playing with her, running up and down, you know, in front of her in the bouncer, and she was chuckling away. And no, she's she loves being a big sister, and she's always been there for her. Um, so yeah, I have hopes that they'll grow up to be the best of friends. Oh, it'd be lovely because the the age gap is perfect, actually. It's not too much and it's not too little. You know, it's fine. And, of course, it was Laura again, which is which is terrific. Yeah, she's a, a real trooper. Because, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, you know, there was a, a, a an attempt in the middle which didn't, didn't work and Laura, unfortunately, had an ectopic pregnancy, which was tricky for everybody yeah. um obviously for her physically a little bit more for us emotionally and um it was it was tricky because we all thought it had worked you know we had a positive test result and then mm. it was then a few weeks later then we were told that you know there's no heartbeat and she had to go through you know a series of processes to mm. to make sure that she was okay and you know the ectopic pregnancy was removed and we were the, trying to be there for her because she was the the person that was physically going through this and she was doing it for us. So we felt, you know, somewhat responsible and wanted to make sure that we cared for her as much as we could in that process. But we were, you know, having the emotional thing of, you know, losing a, a baby and especially when mm. we had a set, we have a set amount of embryos, um, you know, yeah. each one feels very, you know, very important and, you know, it feels like a bit of a ticking clock. Um, so we also dusted ourselves off and gave ourselves a little bit of time, made sure that Laura was okay and she said she wanted to go again. So here we are. And like, this time it worked and because of that experience, we were mu much more cautious all the way through the process. But um, yeah, we went out to Ireland um, in in May last year and she arrived on the 1st of June and a little less dramatic than Millie's entrance. But yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a dream come true. I, I feel so lucky and so honoured and so privileged that this gets to be my life. Yeah. Because you were working full time um, <laughs> and being a mum of two. And Jake, obviously, Jake's a writer, you know, he's an actor, he's, he's a director, he does so many things and, and he's been in so many fantastic productions. I mean, you talked about the Danish girl, he's also been in Colette and all sorts of things. So you're busy, busy, busy. Um, how do you manage it? How do you divide this the, the childcare, you know, the, and all of that? And, I juggling, mean, juggling, juggling. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of juggling. I think we both feel that because we are in such a lucky position, we need to try and do as much with it as we can. And some of some of what we do is just you know for our family. Like I have a you know very boring corporate job which kind of pays the bills, and you know Jake has his kind of artistic world that he does because for the love of the art. But then we also try and do as much as we can to promote awareness, you know, be advocates mm. for our community and try and, you know, show the world that, you know, we aren't all the freaks that people make us out to be. So we feel a responsibility there to do as much as we can. And um, I think neither, neither of us are the sort of people to leave this world saying, what if? 
Ah, exactly. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's it's really important, is that particularly now, particularly when you know we've talked about the fact that there is this kind of spotlight on trans people in the way that probably the gay community had to cope with that decades ago. We're kind of back there, um, and and all the fractures and all this sort of you know, it's just it's actually heartbreaking when we should all be pulling together, um, and especially as a community all pulling together. It's it's just really really sad. But by you two living the lives that you do, I hope you realise how important it is and how helpful it is, isn't mm, it? It's really helpful. I, I really do hope, you know, I, I do try and, rem- you know, we're both optimistic, positive people, and I, and I really hope that, and I believe that, you know, things will get better. I believe this is a bit of a blip. And, you know, we, the way we look back about how we treated gay people, you know, in, mm. you know, in the 80s, now I'm, I'm hoping that that's how we'll look back on this period of time now and um, people will go, wow, we really got that wrong. And, you know, and, and I also, I think the younger generation, certainly, you know, when, you know, obviously we're in a very kind of, you know, London-based world here. And I know it's not the same everywhere, but generally speaking, I think people are growing up to be more open-minded and mm. more aware of mental health and more aware of the impacts of, you know, people's identities. So I, I do have hope that as we go on in our lives that, you know, for certainly for our girls, that they'll grow up in a world that's a little less full of hate. I certainly hope so. I, I think you're right. And if you look at the demographics, I think you're absolutely right because the younger generation just are like, well, there's there's a man and a woman, a husband and a wife just getting on with their life. That's all. That's all they're doing, you know, but that's fine. Um, why should you get so aerated about it? Whereas I would say that older people, you think that, don't you? It's older people who oh, yeah, have the definitely. prejudices, who do. I and don't know anyone my age that, I mean, maybe it's the people I hang out with, but there's no one that has any issues with it. No. I know, you know, slightly older than me or slightly, I think younger than me, definitely. Are. I mean, we're all just trying to go on with our lives, aren't we? Let's be honest, that's it. So it's... There's bigger things going on. <laughs> yeah, you're just, you're just trying, you're absolutely just trying to go, get on with it. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Have though? you sort of thought, have you and Jake sort of thought about how you're going to raise your two little ones and how you're going to talk about it or... Yeah, yeah, we are. I mean, the, the, the big thing for us is that we don't want to hide anything because mm-hmm. we think that as soon as you say you try and hide something from them, it becomes a dirty secret, and then it, which could, sort of gives it a negative connotation. So we don't want to hide anything from them, but obviously we need to be age appropriate. So mm-hmm. you know, we can't retell really them until they're concepts that they can really understand. And so we're starting to, um, you know, little conversations with Minnie, for example. You know, I'm talking. You know, say got a friend coming over he's got two mummies or he's got you know, oh, or she's got two daddies right. little things like yeah. little things that just are really easy for her to understand that she can you know that she can just begin to see the world in a more open way and then as they get older and we can see how emotionally intelligent they are and when they're ready we'll you know find ways to to talk to them about it but certainly i can't tell you exactly the how because i don't know yet but yeah. certainly the intent is to be as open with them as we as we can be and the thing that our experiences have really taught us is that I, we just don't want to put limits on our kids. Um, and so we're trying to give, you know, me, particularly because she's the older one, you know, we're trying to give her the opportunities to do, to try everything. So she does dancing, but she does football, you know, she does mm. a whole heap of things. And we're just going to let let her kind yeah. of, her talents and her interests lead it. And we're not going to try and push her in any, any one way and just hope that, by doing so that she can reach her full potential. I've totally, she'll find her way. Of course she will. And she's got two loving parents. And that's, gosh, you cannot put a price on that. I mean, that's that's what you want for all children, to have that, just that love 
that's it and let them flourish let them flourish like that that's that's absolutely what it's what it's about when you look back and you look back at the the wee child you were it's um what what a, I hate the word journey, but I mean, <laughs> it, I can only describe it as that. It's it's incredible. I mean, you look back, that an adventure, yeah, and just just it. being able to, I don't know, just to be where you are right now. You know, when you look back, did you ever think that was going to that was going to be? It just. I had I had a real moment um, a few years back. I was invited to go and present uh, Cardiff Pride. So I'm from Cardiff, you can tell by my thick Welsh accent. Um, <laughs> but I'm from Cardiff and, um, you know, I grew up there feeling like I was utterly alone and I was the only person out there like me. And then, you know, a few years ago, I was standing on, on a stage at Pride looking out at a sea of people who were just like me and it was a real kind of inspiring moment of how far far we have come as a, as a world. Um, it's got a long way to go, but I think we should just look back and go, we have come a long way and mm. I feel, as I said, I feel very fortunate and very privileged that... Um, that I've been in this time because I've been able to be part of that journey. And there are people before me who would love to have been on a journey like that that couldn't. And there are people who who are now arriving think, God, oh, you know, it's already been done. You know, it's sort of I just I find myself at the, in the perfect place at the perfect time, and that is just pure luck. There's a lot of young people out there who are just finding themselves, aren't they? They're just sort of trying to find their way in in, in life, and you know, they, all, all they need is is a bit of help. And the last thing in the world you want to do is to take that away from them. Um, and how you know how do we? How do you think that we should be moving forward in helping young trans girls, young trans boys? I think that we have to stop demonising them and their families. Um, the media. I'd say the media is such like a grand term and obviously it's not all the media as you know as we're sitting here in this podcast there, <laughs> but there are some people who are very willing to put out a lot there's a lot of misinformation about trans children their experience and so much of what you hear about trans kids doesn't come from trans kids and i've had the privilege of working with some of these kids and seeing their lives before and after and some kids take it slowly and some kids need it quite quickly and again it's all very individual but the truth of the matter is that Trans people exist. We're not a phantom. We are who we are. You know, we you, know, you only have to look at all the medical science out there, the World Health Organization. We are all. It's all well understood that trans, you know, the trans experience is a medical condition that exists, and that exists in kids too. You can't get away from it. It's an indelible fact. It's the truth, and so we've got to stop demonising them and listen to them and be there for them. And the more that we can create an environment where they don't feel othered and that they can find themselves in their own time for some of them that would be you know certain levels of medical medical intervention sure. some of it it won't but whatever it is we need to let the professionals who know what they're talking about mm. deal with it and look after them and give them the same opportunities as everybody else because they exist and if we try and demonize them then the statistics show that they have really really poor outcomes ranging from bad mental health to, to suicide and that's the truth of the matter so just got to be a bit kinder and listen. Mm. I agree. You're a wise woman. You are a wise woman. Um, speaking about being kinder, maybe being kinder to yourself, um, you said earlier that you felt like a freak, which is heartbreaking. Um, and that word is just so horrible. Oh, yeah. horrible. Was there ever a time where you thought you just put that away and you were like, no, I'm not doing that again? Was there a moment you thought, no, I don't want to say like learn to love yourself because it's such a cliche and we've already had, you know, a journey <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> but what? <laughs> Was there a was there a point for you where you just thought, no, I'm not doing that ever again? It has been a journey. I, I think I a couple of stages. You know, coming out as trans to my parents and to 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 work was a big thing for me. But that was only like the beginning. It wasn't, you know, 
it's one thing to know that's your identity, but having never actually been able to live in that identity means that you are kind of still having to explore it and work it out for years to come. So it wasn't like until two or three years after I came out to the world that I really kind of felt settled in who I was. And I went through a phase of like going through some very, you know, ridiculous stereotypes of, you know, of what a woman should look like and how women should act. And then I kind of went, that's not me, though. Mm. I sort of fell back a little bit to my, I found my, my true personality and my own identity. So I think when I did that, that's when I found a level of comfort just to be me and whoever I am and stop worrying about what other people think. Because when you do come out, you what you felt, especially because it happened to me in the media spotlight, mm. I felt like the, the eyes of the world were on me and, you know, I had to be a certain way, be a certain thing. And it wasn't until that I kind of just, yeah, got through that kind of initial phase. And like, okay, I am who I am. I am a woman. I'm a trans woman. I'm other things as well. And that's cool. And I have no interest in going backwards and away from that. And anyone who tries to pull me in a different direction, I'm not worried about. And it's really filtering out the voices that matter. And that's the, you know, it took me a little while to do that. But once I did that, I found my, that's when I found my real kind of true happiness. And go, okay, this is me. Mm. Um, we end each episode by getting guests to tell us their biggest fail, regret and win. So we'll start with fail. One of my biggest failings is that I'm not very good at maintaining relationships. Jake is excellent at it, which is one of the reasons we work very well together. But I'm terrible at it. And because of the nature of my job in the army and moving around every couple of years, different places, I've lost a lot of friends on the way. And not because there's anything, anything happened, but because I wasn't very good at maintaining them. Um, mm. And I, I really, yeah, that's one of my biggest failings. And I wish I was better at it. But I'm um, luckily, Jake is helping me in that regard. And I'm any of my friends are listening that I don't talk to anymore, I'm really sorry. I love you. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's hard, especially when you've got kids. It's really difficult yeah. to, to keep those. And, and like you said, you're moving around a lot. Um, and then you've got him anyway, because he's, he's a blether. He talks to everybody, doesn't he? He is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and keeps up with everybody, so it's good. Um, what about regret? Um, I'm not really one for regrets. Mm. It's not It's not really me and... There are so many things that have been serendipitous in my life that have landed me in a place where I feel really happy. And so I don't want to regret things because things that were maybe, you know, could seem at the time negative have just opened other doors for me. But if I had to say anything, um, I would say that my mum and dad, like, gave me so many opportunities to learn a musical instrument when I was a kid. Uh, and I was oh. so b bored and didn't want to do it at the time. Uh. And my God, I'd love to sit down on a piano and play a, play a song right now because um, I'm, I'm obsessed with music and musicals in particular um and in another world i'd be on the stage but i've got no musical singing <laughs> talent so if i could have played the piano that would have been good but unfortunately not Aww. i think that might be my one as well yeah because i used to do piano and then i just stopped doing it you did both. i know you did you just... and think how good i'd be now if i kept doing it you'd be amazing Ugh. anyway um and finally your bit your <laughs> sorry i can't speak um and finally your win i mean i feel fortunate to have so many wins in my life but um Call it a cliche, but for sure it's having Jake and having a family. I mm. just I just know that there are so many trans people out there who would kill to have, you know, what I have. And so undoubtedly it's my biggest win. That is a beautiful win. Really lovely. And, and thank you so much for bringing her. She's up. She's sleeping <laughs> She's now. sleeping now. She's sleeping and she looks like an angel. Yeah. A cherub. More of an angel. Yeah, she's gorgeous. I'm leaving her here. <laughs> Please do. Please do. Mum will nick her, don't Anytime you need a babysitter, I am there. She's absolutely gorgeous. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been you. a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Oh.